Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into episode number 598 of Underground Sports Philadelphia Live from Underground Studios. It's KB joining you like I always do. And on the other side of your screens, if you're watching on YouTube and if you're watching live on Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, welcome in, uh, is the one and only co-host of the Get in the Hole podcast. Better one. The golf aficionado of our company. The one and only Mr. Stephen McAvoy making his main pod debut. How we doing? How we doing? Well, I'm so happy to be here. This is a uh, shining moment of my life as I'm sitting <laughs> sitting my ass on the couch watching Formula One. KB is like, "Yo, hey, come on!" And I'm like, oh, "Let's go." <laughs> so, he said, "Let's ride, off, baby. And Let's away ride. we go." Uh, we got a fun show. We're gonna recap Eagles Giants from Christmas Day. Talk a little hoops. Talk a little hockey. And uh, we'll talk some baseball as well. But before we get started, make sure you guys are following us on the socials at Underground PHI. That's on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Facebook.com slash Underground Sports PHI, Twitch.tv slash Underground Sports PHI. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. Follow Steve on his new Twitter because it got taken away from his old one thanks to a hacker. At real Steve McAvoy is the new handle. Go follow that bad boy. Run up his follower count for the people. And uh, of course, of course, of course, subscribe to the podcast feed on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review. Goes a long way for helping this show continue to grow. Helps more people get their ears on Underground Sports Philadelphia in audio form. And let's us hit new milestones so that we can keep doing dope stuff with and for you guys. So keep subscribing wherever you get your podcasts in audio form. And subscribe to the Underground Sports Philadelphia YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Underground Sports Philadelphia. That's where you get full video episodes of this show twice a week, full video episodes of every show on our network, including the Get in the Hole podcast, co-hosted by the one and only Stephen McAvoy, Top Bins, F1 Underground, streamer season, outside the box. It's all on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Underground Sports Philadelphia. We're at 703 subscribers right now. Let's get to like 725 before the ball drops in a couple days. Let's let's hit some new milestones going into the New Year's. You know, 2024 is all about the road to 1K and beyond on the YouTube channel. So go subscribe, youtube.com slash at Underground Sports Philadelphia. And of course... This show is presented by the City of Vineland, and the City of Vineland Municipal Calendar features city-organized, city-sponsored, and city-affiliated events that are of public interest. The calendar, which is accessible at vinelandcity.org, is a good way for residents and visitors to build awareness, remain engaged with city government, and participate in local events. You can also follow the City of Vineland on social media via their Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube pages. 
And through these tools, you can stay connected to the community and get important announcements about programs and services offered by the city. Finally, New Jersey, where it's always growing season. A big thank you to Security 21 Security Systems and Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated for their continued support of this podcast. Now, Steve, as Matt would always say when I ask him, how's it going, brother? He would say, living the dream, and you could be having a nightmare as well. But on this show, we have since deduced that nightmares are also dreams. So, brother, how we doing? Uh, as as Kid Cudi put it in his main, I guess, breakout album, first album? I don't really even know. Um, you have dreams and you have nightmares, but at the end of the day, they all kind of come together in one motif and... That's how, that's how we're living. That's all, that's all, all it really is. Um, or equally, as Kanye West says, my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasies are all just screwed up anyways. <laughs> and and mostly that they've divulged ever since the Mets lost out on on, uh, on Yamamoto. But that's to be seen uh, how that one's going. Was like vigorously on the toilet this morning, like scrolling through Twitter, being like, huh, I wonder what the Mets news is. And all of a sudden, I, I saw a, uh, an Instagram post, and it was like a Mets logo. And that's happened, and I go, oh, my God. <laughs> Impulse buying, it, it, like, I don't know if you know this, but, like, the whole thing with Fred Wilpon, how the reason why the Mets sucked for so long and got screwed over by the by the Bonilla um, signing and everything was because they were in bed with Bernie Madoff at the time mm-hmm. and thought, thought, they thought that, that they'd be trillionaires in about three years' time. They were like, oh, fine, the, uh, the insurance money won't matter. Yeah, so, like, Impulse buying has been my like biggest fear as a fan of all New York sports. Um, for some reason, the Yankees c- can do it great. The Mets never can. Jason Bay. Uh, so yeah, my when I saw that happen, I was like, oh my god, the the, the train's gonna just cycle along and along and along. And two hundred and thirty million dollars later, I'm gonna be crying myself to sleep at night. Well, it is very fitting that uh, when Bobby Bonilla Day comes to an end, Shohei Day pretty much picks up right where it leaves off. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, it really isn't even Bonilla Day anymore. It's been Chris Davis day for the last like four years. <laughs> we just don't want to acknowledge it yet because it's the Mets. Cause like LOL Mets. But at the end of the day, like Chris Davis, I think the, the nationals are paying Max Scherzer $17 million a year still to play against them. And Strasburg they're paying well, there you go. for like but, another decade. Yeah, but Strasburg's also dead. It, it, it like it'd be different. So for example, another fun one, uh, when the Yankees lost to the Astros, and I believe it was 2017, Brian McCann had a go-ahead home run in Game Six. Oh, the Yankees are paying him five and a half million dollars to play for the Astros. How must that feel? Just like absolutely, just like good night. That hurts. Along, along with getting beat by trash cans. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um... no, it's, it's been uh, the the dreams and the nightmares all, all kind of flow at this point. Absolutely but. do. Um, luckily the Eagles, uh, found a way to keep dreaming on about the one seed, uh, after they beat your New York giants on Christmas day and put an end to the Tommy DeVito Lynn sanity run, because now apparently Terod Taylor is going to be starting next week for the giants. Uh, and it is brought to you by our awesome merch partners at PHI apparel company, the best merch partners in the game from sweatshirts to t-shirts for every Philly sports fan. If you're Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, Sixers, and the Union, and of course, if you're a fan of Underground Sports Philadelphia, because we have exclusive podcast merch available at PHI Apparel Company. All of our podcasts have hoodies, shirts, and it is the most effective and direct way to support everything we're doing here when you get your merch. Support the Get in the Whole podcast. Support Underground Sports Philadelphia. Go buy a hoodie. Go buy a shirt. 
it's never too late to treat yourself this holiday season. Go to phiapparel.co, and when you go to check out, when you have your car all filled up, ready to go, use code UNDERGROUND. Be sure to use that code, code UNDERGROUND, for 10% off your merch orders. And when you get your merch in, be sure to tag us, tweet at us. We'll repost it on our social platforms. That's phiapparel.co. Code Underground for 10% off your order. Steve, your Giants came into Philadelphia, and the decade-long losing streak continues as, thankfully, the Eagles uh, put a a stop and a kibosh on this three-game losing streak that they have had. Get a win over the Giants. The 49ers get mollywopped on Monday Night Football, and the Cowboys lose to the Miami Dolphins. So the Eagles' one-seed hopes are still alive somehow, some way. You know, this this weekend was really funny. So, um, of course, you and I were, were busy celebrating Christmas. In the New York area, my whole family is all Giants fans. And my, my mom's fiancé, as, he, as he's sitting on the couch, goes, Hey, Steve, what's the spread on the game? I go, uh, it's like 14. He goes, oh, what's the line? I go, oh, it's plus 640 for the Giants. And he goes, put a hundred dollars on it. And I'm like, I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I can't condone this. Uh, at first, I'm like, no, I can't do this. And my mom goes, just fucking do it. So, I, so I, I throw the hundred dollars in. I put it on. He goes, uh, so what? I get, I, I, I get fourteen points. I said, no, no, you, you told me to take the money line. And he goes, so I get fourteen points. I'm gonna, no, 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 no. You put a hundred dollars on the Giants money line to win the game straight up. Against the eleven and three, or sorry, ten and three, ten and four. Jeez, Philadelphia Eagles. And he goes, "Are you stupid?" I go, "No, no, no, no. You're the one who said this." My brother's sitting next to me. He's like, "Do you believe in Christmas miracles?" I go, "Not this." <laughs> and then he just he stares blank, blankly into my eyes and goes, "So I'm watching this game, right?" And honestly, they like I'm surprised it was as close um, as it was. The uh, there are th- three big takeaways from this game for me, um, and like, I, I haven't watched Eagles football the whole year. I've, I've, I've been more encapsulated by the drama that is the Giants and the New York Jets. But three things: number one, taking out Tommy DeVito. While I personally am a Tyrod Taylor truther, and the whole reason why they didn't bring Taylor Taylor back when he uh, came off IR was because. Tommy was going off from this two-game winning streak. They didn't want to let it go dry. He had already been playing some pretty solid football for what it's worth. But Tyrod Taylor has, A, the veteran composure, and B, the, just the better like feel. The, the whole second half just felt way more smooth. And it was both – he's a lot more of a precision passer. The ball's finding guys. Darius Slayton made three catches, three catches in the second half that were – I mean, one was a touchdown. One was about a 30-yard uh, – post out that the safety just completely missed and he managed to to gain 30 40 yards on a third and long and then just in general taylor just kind of has that like control and command where i feel like devito while it was a great story for all of four weeks i just don't think that he is a he isn't like he's the marketing story he's the he's the Mm -hmm. doug eddard of the nfl this year the guy's making rayo's sauce and he's getting his own signature rayo's he's not gonna have a job in two years uh, and like I, I get it, it's an easy story, and this this goes to the marketability of, of the NFL. But at the end of the day, the the Giants actually came a lot closer than I thought they would, and I was kind of sweating out this uh, this hundred dollar bet that would have won seven hundred and forty bucks. Um, 
Two other things, though, that I really noticed that have changed a lot from the Eagles. Number one, there there seems to be a lot more cohesion, and I don't know whether or not it's the fact that the, it's more of a testament to the Giants not being good at football, or the Eagles just, just having more of a tempo around them, but they look more composed. Everything seemed a bit more um, enveloped. The offensive line has struggled the last three weeks, and so they finished bottom 10 in the league in protection the last three weeks, which has been a, a recipe for disaster for their whole offense, because when you think about it, Everything's predicated around Jalen Hurts. And while, and I'll say this later, how he, he very well could be the MVP of the league, it, you're only as good as your offensive line could take you, and, and we already know how good they are. But when they struggle against top top defenses, we're apt to, to falling behind. Um, and unfortunately, the ball can't get to A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith or Dallas Goddard or whoever without Hurts performing, and he isn't as good of a creator uh, as as most hoped, hoped he would. Um, and then also my only, uh, my only other takeaway that I've noticed is that, oh my God, Jake Elliott is amazing at football. I love Jake. And he is arguably a top three franchise changing player in Eagles history. Whether it's fantasy or it's NFL or whatever it is, you cannot go through life, not having a good secure safety blanket. And the giants are a perfect example. Mason Crosby, I think is the third kicker on the roster at this point. Graham Gano sucked the whole year. I don't even know who they had um, secondarily, and now and now Crosby's and granted a a true veteran, but you have guys trying to kick the ball. They can't even get it 35, 35 yards in the air. Jake Elliott, if you can have a safety blanket, who's only missed two field goals the entire year, it's a huge testament. Again, both in fantasy and and in the actual game itself, to know that you can basically go every single drive, and if you can get past midfield, you have three points on the board. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think my biggest takeaway from this game, even though it was closer than a lot of people expected, that didn't surprise me. Um, I mean, granted, you take the Dallas Goddard slipped on the turf and you get a pick six from that. Exactly. Take that off the board. It's a double digit game for the first time for the Eagles since October, uh, where they only have one double digit win this entire season. Let's not forget that. Um, Oddly enough against the Miami Dolphins. Mm -hmm. Um, But the biggest thing is like even in a game like this where the Eagles finally put up 30 points, they had a half for the first time this year. This first half against the Giants was the first time the Eagles scored 20 points in the first half. The offense still hasn't changed, even though it looks it looked better on Monday against the Giants. And again, I don't know if that is because the Giants defense is just not that great yeah. or something changed a little bit. But the number one glaring thing is Devontae Smith scores a 36-yard touchdown when you throw a ball right in the middle of the field for him to run in open space with. You threw one other pass underneath to A.J. Brown that resulted in a first down, but every other pass that Jalen Hurts threw was on the outside, down the sidelines. The, the slow, long, methodical play development that Brian Johnson is calling as an offensive coordinator is going to get the Eagles destroyed in the playoffs. You can't rely on this slow developing play calling week in and week out, especially when you're playing against heightened opponents, no matter who it is. You know, you talk about, oh, this team's a bad playoff team. Well, they got in the playoffs and they're here for a reason. So you got to play who's on your schedule. And no matter who the Eagles play in the playoffs, whether it is the Seahawks again, Tampa Bay, Detroit, Dallas, whoever it ends up being, the long developing plays are going to get this team killed because, like you said, your offensive line can only block so much. 
They can only do so much to where it's forcing Jalen Hurts out of the pocket way earlier than it ever should and ever did last season. So now he's on the run. He's throwing off balance. That's why you see so many interceptions from Jalen Hurts this year. That's why you're seeing so many different, you know, just uncharacteristic turnovers from Jalen Hurts this year. The the play calling, I mean, you had A.J. Brown in the locker room after this game saying, I was told if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. It's so clear that this team is fed up with the play calling and they know that their their talent has carried them to this 11-4 and record and it has kept them alive in the one-seed fight where if the 49ers lose one of their next two games, which don't count that out of the question, you got to go to Washington on a short week with a bunch of injured players after that game against the Ravens and then come back to California to play a Rams team that's probably going to be fighting for their playoff lives in Week 18. If they lose one of those two, the Eagles win out, and then if the Lions lose one of their next two, the number one seed is the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC playoffs, which is crazy to think about. Um, but the the play calling, once again, and you're not going to fix it in week 16, but it's going to be the detriment of this team in the playoffs, and it's making the defense go out on the field longer than you want them to. And that's why you see the Eagles defense not being able to get off the field on third down. That's why Matt Patricia is now your de facto defensive coordinator. When you make a change in week 15 for your coaching staff. Uh, the other big thing I have to say is sometimes you just have to eat money. Uh, when Darius Slay returns from his impromptu uh, knee scope surgery that he had, and Avante Maddox comes back from his 21-day practice window being open now from his torn pec. Uh, Kelly Ringo needs to be starting opposite Darius Slay and Avante Maddox. James Bradbury just is so Doesn't cooked. have it. He's so cooked. I don't know what happened this offseason to where he just he just does not look like the same player last year that he was coming off an all-pro season. And now you're struggling to cover Darren Waller, which granted, sure, Darren Waller is a, a freak athlete, has unbelievable like catch radius range for a tight end. But my God, he's slower than molasses. The dude has knee injuries all the time and you can't cover Darren Waller, James Bradbury. What are we doing? And, and the worst part is, too, is that and you want to you want to talk Darren Waller isn't even a really great receiver to begin with at this point in the year. He's dropped the most passes on passes on the Giants. There's nobody in Giants history for a tight end who has had more pass volume than Darren Waller with the number of drops he's had. You want to, all right, there, there's there's a difference between chewing money and also like throwing again impulse buying, like I've been saying with the Nets. The, the Darren Waller signing for the Giants was an absolute nightmare, and he's been an absolute disappointment. My my brother's sitting next to me on the couch. He goes. He goes, oh God, Darren Waller might, might and might end up back in rehab after this game. Three, three, three losses essentially. One of which, I think, two, two of them actually came on third down in the first half. That very well could have turned the game around. And you know, and dialing back a little bit too, and we'll talk more about this uh, this playoff this playoff scenario as we go along. But you're right. While the Adore Jackson interception could have very well made a two two score game, looking back on it now. Four fumbles from the Eagles' way is also a huge storyline that hasn't been talked about that much in this game, one of which plotted the Giants at the 14-yard line 
and set up an easy score. You look at the you look at, at at these small things, and I could point to probably three or four plays, uh, including the Devontae Smith touchdown, where CJ Flott or Jason Pennock or somebody in the secondary missed their assignment, missed a read, and wherever it was, and it all happens on zone defense. I don't know what Wing Martindale is doing for the Giants, but easy, easy situational scores for the Eagles. I do think, and you're right, as I'm listening back on it, as I don't watch the Eagles very much, the fact that while it looked better, it really isn't. Uh, and it, again, I think we're agreeing this comes down to more the fact that, that, that the Giants simply aren't a good defensive team to begin with. Um, but hey, you know what? It's the same thing with fantasy football when you have the most points for, but you also taken on the most points against. Mm-hmm. Like whether or not they get the number one seed uh, for the NFC, which by the way would be a significant hill to climb with the kind of talent pool that, all, that is there vying for that spot. Because you could very well argue that there are two to three teams, maybe not even including the Eagles, that are not only a Super Bowl contender, but could very well beat whoever the AFC throws out there. To the point that you're like, you know what, if they get there, it's more of a miracle than anything else. And to be able to bypass that first round would actually be a huge benefit. Because um, you're right, they've, they're making changes too late. It's, it, it's like a third grader trying to learn seventh grade math. At some point, it becomes Chinese. Why study for the test if you already don't know, if you already don't know it? It's literally doing the project that is due that day, and you started doing it at eleven o'clock at night. Exactly. It, it, it's me in the seventh grade going to my mom and saying, "Hey, mom, I have a project on Christopher Columbus. I need a poster board done." It's like eleven thirty yeah. at night. I'm like, "Oh shit! I just forgot about this, mom. Help me!" And then, I need then glue. In the morning, <laughs> so bad. The late night runs to Staples. Oh. <laughs> No, but yeah, I mean, look, like, and I, I used to always, I used to always say it with math, and and I'll, I'll repeat it again. I used to, I used to do study for like math finals, and like I used to make make fun of friends. I'd be like, why are you studying for the math final if like you've already done it for a whole year? If you know it, you know it. If you don't, you don't. Like when it comes, when, when push comes to shove, guys, it's week sixteen of the NFL season. You're you're already firing your deco. You're figuring out your offensive coordinator situation and trying to figure out what the play calling is going to be. At this point, stick with what you know and just try and work within the confines of that. And I think that's really what Nick Sirianni has to look into and say, hey, this is what we have. Let's build on it instead of trying to make these changes where rash decision-making is only going to throw you off the boat. I think the one good decision they made this week offensively was Quez Watkins had one snap. I We as a society have grown past the need for Quez Watkins to be playing on offense for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, but I mean, it's wild that they're still going into week 17, three teams vying for the number one seed in the NFC. It's the 49ers, the Eagles and the lions all still have a shot, which to say the lions have a shot at the one seed is crazy. They need help obviously from the 49ers losing, um, one of the, the next two, the lions would have to win out. And then the Eagles, uh, don't have the tiebreaker over the lions (laughs) for conference record. But there is a, a universe where the Lions are the one seed in the 2023 NFL playoffs. Um, there's also a, there's also a universe where the Lions and the and the Browns are, are two top three teams in the playoffs. Shout out Joe Flacco. Let's, let, let, let's just consider that. Um, it was great watching the 49ers get absolutely humbled on Monday Night Football, though, because oh, yeah. in no realm, in no realm. Should Brock Purdy be in any sort of MVP discussion 
I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about his 70% completion percentage. Please show me where he's throwing the ball and then what those receivers did with the ball after. There's there's no volume behind what Brock Purdy is doing. And the Ravens defense showed you that if you just get a little tiny bit of pressure on that 49ers offensive line, that's how you realize Brock Purdy was the last pick in the NFL draft. Because if he faces any kind of pressure, he folds. And that's exactly what happened in Santa Clara, not San Francisco, on Monday night. So I am finding a all right, so so this is this is from 23 days ago, and honestly, the uh the numbers really don't deviate much. 48.6% of Brock Purdy's passing yards this season are coming off of Yak. 27% of that is solely responsible to Christian McCaffrey. First of all, that's your MVP. If it isn't Tyreek Hill, it's Christian McCaffrey. Lamar is really good. Dak Prescott lost it when he lost I think Lamar should be a finalist for sure. I I agree. Like if a quarterback's going to win it this year, it should be Lamar. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's a quarterback award. It's the same thing as the Heisman. Which is Um, so dumb. We haven't had a a non-quarterback win the MVP since Adrian Peterson. Mm -hmm. 05, 06? Uh, 2012. Well, really? Was that recent? Matt, mathing is off. It was um, when he no, had his two thousand yard season. But Alexander won it in in oh six. We but talked like, about we talked about this too with Tyree yeah. Hill thing a couple months ago. The moment the NFL didn't give the MVP to Cooper Cup for winning the triple crown as a receiver was the moment that the MVP award was dead to anybody but a quarterback. Yeah, and and so so here's the other part of this that I think is a is interesting. Now like I agree with you in the idea that I don't see Brock Purdy being an being an MVP candidate. He has the best offensive line, the best defense. He's never really he's never he never has to be on the field for longer than a seven minute drive because they're so uber efficient. And again, I think you could put any quarterback in that system and they will thrive. Sam Darnold didn't even do a bad job when he played for mm-hmm. a, for a quarter and a half. So at the end of the day, you could put any person there, and I think they'll do totally fine. Trey Lance would be a phenomenal quarterback in the NFL if he was still around in San Francisco. And I almost kind of feel bad for him that he has to get stuck behind Dak Prescott. But Rob Purdy, he's going after something that's never been done in the history of football, the quintuple crown. The idea that he can literally be the best in completion rating, passing yards, touchdown passes, yards per attempt, touchdown to INT ratio, passer rating, passing touchdown percentage, and yards per completion. He's top two in every in every category. But again, you need to look into... I'm a firm believer of the MVP is who does the most to your team. And Tyree Kill definitively does more for the success of the Dolphins than than anybody has ever done for that team that isn't named Tua Tagovailoa. The 49ers, it's almost the same story. And yes, you could point to offensive linemen, defensive linemen, the front seven, anybody who's doing an insane job this year. But Christian McCaffrey is an absolute winner in any capacity that you put him in. And I hate to relate like fantasy to, to real life because at the end of the day, it's fantasy. But I've always said that like pro bowls and all-star games should be determined by who has the most fantasy points because at the end of the day, it kind of, it kind of sort of translates Christian McCaffrey guys who owned him in leagues made 74% of them made the playoffs. 48 of those made the final like him alone averaging 30 points per game in fantasy and then on top of that being able to have score a touchdown for your team maybe two maybe even three on a weekly basis goes so far and then you throw in Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and 
And even though George Kittle is, isn't necessarily the best tight end anymore, he's still a top five tight end. So th- there's so many different options here, but Tyreek's more valuable to Miami. CMC is really the most valuable asset in San Francisco. Lamar Jackson is the absolute most important piece to the, to the Baltimore Ravens. And if he's not there, they are not even a, a 500 football team. So while I do agree that I think I think Lamar Jackson wins the award because it is a quarterback award, I think CMC really is the definitive guy. Um, I hate that we I, also determine the NFL MVP in the last like three weeks of the season. Every I mean, other sport, the MVP is kind of like solidified for the most part by like two months left in the season. NFL MVP, it's like all right, whoever has the best primetime game in the last three weeks of the season usually well, I, ends up winning. I think it also comes down to the 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 games that you play late. Like the whole the whole debate here was that Dak Prescott was the MVP and then he lost to Miami and then all of a sudden no no it can't be Dak anymore. Or it was Brock Purdy but now Lamar beat him so it has to be Lamar. Like you put them one on one at the end of the day the yearly stats should kind of speak for itself but but again we measure it based on who has the most value to their team. I would even actually make the argument and this is why I want to talk about it this week was that Jalen Hurts should be an MVP should be, should be a, MVP, a MVP finalist for what he is worth to his team and how he produces for his team. Even AJ Brown can be considered there. While although although I can make the argument easily that two, that Tyreek's more important than Tua, but Jalen's more important more important than AJ, you can kind of pick straws at that one. But would, is Jalen Hurts a better MVP than Brock Purdy? Yeah. Is he a be, yes. is he better than Dak Prescott? Yeah. Like that's just how it kind of crumbles down. But unfortunately, we're always stuck vying for the guy who's top of the board at twelve and three, who has the best record, and it's going to want to be being Lamar. I have but. a f- I I I can't stand this player simply because I feel like he's a a dirty player and is always trying to start a little ruckus on the field. If we want to talk about the actual V in MVP, there should be an argument to be had that. One Trent Williams is the MVP of the NFL this year. The 49ers, without Trent Williams <laughs> playing in a game, lost three straight. Trent Williams got hurt against the Ravens. The 49ers lost. So, Granted, is that coincidence? Maybe. But it shows how valuable Trent Williams is to the overall production of what the 49ers do. So here's the problem with that. And I would love to see an offensive lineman win the MVP as a former lineman myself in the day. But there are three problems. One, you play the most selfless position on the field. You're getting your brains blown out every 30 seconds by someone who's arguably bigger than you. Um, you're also playing within more of a team more than anybody else. Like, like there's one thing to be like, oh, the skill players are a team with the quarterback and a tandem. But the offensive line is literally a family. And it's all one thing. And you're only as strong as the weakest link on that line. And at the end of the day, they have five top 10 rated players at each of their positions. So I can't even complain with that. But also, um, I think the MVP is still a skill position only Mm -hmm. defensive player if kind of award. Like Aaron Donald should have won it years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. But he never did because why would we give the award to a defensive stopper? We want to give it to the guy who can throw, who can chuck it the farthest, run it the fastest, or score eighty thousand touchdowns. So it's a bummer. it is a bummer. It really is. But you know what? We can't always get what you want. 
Uh, the one thing I do want to see though is that Alameda Zacchaeus gets more uh, gets more yes, looks. Yes, I love, I love all time name right there. He is the best. He's from here. Like, is he really? Yeah, he oh, played shit. at St. Joe's with DeAndre Swift. They won state titles together. So, you want to talk like um, I saw a, a TikTok and it was like uh, guys playing the uh, the. The all name team, like like talking about just like guys from yesteryear who they like remember from like old video games. Alameda Zacchaeus, when I was playing like Madden 16, was always like on the Phil roster. And like you like you always find those like few players that are just like meta and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what their overall is, they always produce. That was my guy in That's Madden bad. 16. And the only other two names that stand out that are that, that are considerably that are considerably better. Was Madden 12, best Madden, by the way. The Browns backup running back. I would always do a franchise with the Browns. I would trade Peyton Hillis and I would start their backup, Montario Hardesty. I bet no one knows who this guy is. If you do, like, leave a comment. But oh my God, this guy was the best ground and pound runner of all time. He would beat everybody. And then the last one was Chell 18. Or it was the first year of the, of the Golden Knights, 18, 17. I think it was a sophomore in college. Uh, Malcolm Subban. So random, but so good. That's amazing. But yeah, so. Um, along with yeah, I love, I I love Zacchaeus. He's, he's awesome and deserves the playing time. Like, he's a much better, like, ball tracker than Quez Watkins is. Oh, yeah. Get down the field just as fast. I am all in. On Llama Day playing. Plus, he has an elite Twitter handle. His Twitter handle is literally Llama Day to let you know how to pronounce his name. He he was, I don't know if you know this, but he was the, the number three wide receiver for the Falcons. And then mm-hmm. when, when Muhammad Sunu went out, and eventually when Julio Jones and then Calvin Ridley, therefore, um, both bounced out for their own reasons, like he was the number one target for about two or three weeks. He was one of the highest efficiency wide receivers in football with Matt Ryan. Like mm-hmm. like two or three games in a in a given clip. The guy has skill. Give him a chance. And now he's on the same roster as Julio Jones again. Wow. <laughs> it still what, boggles my mind that Julio Jones what, is an eagle. Washed up, old, sit hanging around. You want to again? You want to talk about names? I'm going through all of the Philadelphia like rosters and like finding like how the hell is this guy still here? I didn't even realize the Philadelphia Phillies still have uh, Jeff Hoffman, who was like a top ten prospect for the Padres, like six years ago and i don't i don't know what Stuff. occurred that he wound up wound, wound up in philly but oh my i saw his face and i was like i, I remember this guy he's a stud now he was one of our best relievers last year and he's got a great he's got a great thing stitched on his glove that our pitching coach caleb cotham uh brought into the fold when they were both in cincinnati mm-hmm. and it's uh fah he has stitched on his glove for fuck all hitters and when he came to Philly, oh, when he got his new gloves in Philly's colors and everything, uh, he got it such PHAH. I love that. That's, that. that's terrific. No, he, he and like, Bryce Harper are like best friends too. Like he he got drafted by I think by Toronto. He wound up in San Diego for a little bit. Then he went to Colorado and was and was there for like three four years. And like I don't know if it's a Colorado thing, but the ERA was like a nine at, at one point. Uh, totally gave up on him. I think he went to Cincinnati, and now he's in Philadelphia, and he's balling. It's like the uh, second coming of Dakota Hudson when he was like going off. Da- Daniel Hudson, I think it is. Daniel Hudson. Um, mm-hmm. When he was bounced around the league for years, and then all of a sudden with um, 
when he won the World Series recently with, with LA, he was like a he was a, a monster. Yeah, Jeff Hoffman yeah. this year had a five and two record, a two war, and a two four one ERA for the Phils. The Mets did that. Instead, it, instead, the fucking Mets are signing a bunch of uh, like minor league contract guys. That, that it, it literally the Mets are playing Moneyball. Like you look at at like like MLB trade rumors. I'm all right here. You know how on getting the hole we play uh, we play golfer or country artist or like shit yes. like that. Uh, you go on MLB trade rumors and you find the Mets page. I read you some of these names. You will go, huh? We got Chad Smith. Was recently just signed. Rylan Bannon, Taylor Colway, Kyle Crick, we know him. Uh, Andre Scrub, Michael Tonkin, Austin Adams. Like, like literally, we're playing Moneyball here. I don't know hey, any of these fitting. freaking guys, with the exception of of like Adrian Hauser, who's like a decently known name. You guys, Tyrone Taylor. Yes, but like the guys who they're signing, I think it's just like really funny. Like I'm, I'm seeing these random names like I've never heard of in my entire life. They could have been a, a player from like MVP Baseball 2004 for all I know. And they, they, they're, 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 they're like they're sitting there existing. It's like when the uh, when the Eagles cut Bernard Williams and he's been on on the roster for like 80 years, right? Yeah. Bernard Williams. Yeah, I think so. I think that's who it was. Yeah, that was a wild one. Longest tenured uh, athlete and. Sports history question mark? Um, <laughs> did he get a Super Bowl ring in twenty eighteen? Really question out. mark. Um, speaking of baseball, let's talk a little baseball. It's brought to you by our pals over at Foco, the leaders in forever collectibles. Foco, it's like right in. They're located right in between us, Steve. They're right in North Jersey. Uh, they Woo. provide. You guys saw me rocking the the overalls all Philly season long. They've got them in football styles. So rep your favorite football team. Uh, with the overalls, they've got the Christmas sweaters, and of course, the one thing that I need to get my hands on is that Eagles velour tracksuit, the Big Dom starter pack. Uh, plus, they've got unreal bobbleheads, amazing apparel. Go and click the link in the description, visit Foco, and uh, start repping your forever collectibles, whether you put them on your shelf or on your body. Shout out to Foco for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, so Steve Yamamoto is officially a Dodger. Both of our squads missed out on him because that's just what happens. Um, I personally, and I'm in a, a group chat where a couple of my friends were very disappointed that the Phillies didn't sign Yamamoto, uh, and very disappointed in just the overall footprint that the Phillies have with Japanese players in franchise history. They've only had two Japanese players in franchise history, one of the longest running sports teams in the world. And they have only had two Japanese players. I personally looked at the Phillies aggression and pursuit of Yamamoto as a good sign because it means they were willing to spend on a guy who outside of Shohei Otani is probably the biggest Japanese unicorn player in the past decade simply because of his age a 25 year old sensation pitcher from japan doesn't get posted very often um so i viewed that as a positive for the phillies did they miss out on him 
Sure, the Dodgers offered what is effectively $375 million because they're paying Shohei Otani $2 million for the next uh, decade plus um, until $68 million kicks in in 2034, baby. Um, it always felt like Yamamoto was going to go to either L.A. or New York, whatever it was going to be. Um, and obviously when Shohei signs in L.A. and he and Yamamoto are best friends, you're going to go play with your friends. We've learned that in the NFL. Look at, you know, all the teams who drafted quarterbacks in the following year drafted their best friend or went and traded for their best friend who was a wide receiver. Um, yeah. That's baseball even more so because you're on the road longer with people that you need to have relationships with. And to have that for Yamamoto with Shohei made too much sense. I wasn't concerned. I was more so encouraged that the Phillies were willing to go into that next realm of the luxury tax for a superstar like Yamamoto, that they were willing to finally make a footprint in Japan. I and mean, hopefully this helps uh, with future players that come from Japan. That's like, hey, the Phillies are willing to, you know, step into your realm and pay you the money that you think you deserve. Um, obviously, the Mets had, you know, an outside chance with Kodai Senga being on the roster. Um, but I was encouraged, and it doesn't detract, I think, anything from what the Phillies are going to do this offseason. Priority number one now is re-sign Zach Wheeler to an extension. Obviously, he's your number one in your rotation. Um, thank you, Mets. And then it's going and finding a, a closer, whether it's via the trade market or uh free agency and then you just got to find a left fielder who isn't necessarily a superstar but is going to be able to play you know 125 games this year for you yeah i think so let's kind of start from the beginning here so the Amoto situation i think is a an interesting one um i don't want to say that this is what happened because i i, I don't want to be the guy to make assumptions about a guy's um free agency journey. But part of me going through this whole scenario in the background of my mind goes, I think he knows where he wants to go. The, his the historicals always show that Japanese players tend to always go West coast. I think in the history of Japanese players playing professional baseball, over 70% have gone to West coast teams or, or stayed on the Western side of the United States because of the fact that they don't have to travel significantly far to get home whenever the, the that may happen. Um, the only significant Japanese players or even really Asian players in general who have came across the Pacific and have played in on the Eastern seaboard for a relatively decent amount of time, Ching Ming Wong, Hideki Matsui, his brother Kaz Matsui. But again, we're talking the New York Yankees for the most part, like the biggest brand in sports where I can ask a random girl walking around Manhattan who their top three players are and she'll probably tell you it's Arson Judge. Like at the end of the day, it's the brand over everything else. But I do think that, and I, again, I hate to make assumptions, that Yamamoto knew he wanted to go to LA. It was only a matter of time before Shohei had signed. And then, and I think this is the biggest downfall with Steve Cohen, is while it's great he can flex his pockets, and it's great that Dave Dombrowski wants to spend money, and it's great that all of a sudden, for the first time in five years, Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner want to spend money and, and be a be the evil empire again. I think he was picking pockets. I think he was saying, mm -hmm. I'm going to the Dodgers. I want $325 million. This is where I'm going. 
Let's see if you guys can bid me up there. And the fact that, that the New York media, and I blame them all the fucking time, were saying, and Sal Licata said it first, and this guy, while he's a great reporter, is a uber fanboy, said, I'd give him 360. What? When you have Jeff Passan going on the Pat McAfee show saying that nobody <laughs> even thought it would get to three hundred million initially. Yeah. Now look, I, I I get it. Has never thrown a pitch in the United States. The pinstripes are heavy. If he went to New York and he fucked up for for a year, we got a problem. He's yes, the perfect he's a Dodger, though. I don't know if you've seen his postseason stats in Japan. Uh, he, perennial he choker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, <laughs> it, it's the Japanese Clayton Kershaw with uh with straight black hair. Have fun, guys. But like. But still, the idea to spend $325 million on a on a guy who's never thrown a pitch on American soil, it's a big-time risk. And while, yeah, like a lot of the time we see guys come over, the last time we've seen someone this good uh, with this level of gravitas come over and get posted was Masahiro Tanaka, um, who came over at, I think, 26 as well, 25, 26, um, went to the Yankees struggle for the first two years. He didn't, he didn't have his breakout year until he was 30. And even then, it only sustained for about three or four years, then he got bounced out of the league. Kodai Senga is 31 years old. Shota Imanaga is the next guy on the board that most people are saying is the fallback option of Yamamoto is gonna, might get $200 million because of it. He's still 30, 31 years old. Like, And the only thing he, he does better than Yamamoto is strike guys out. I think he had like 16 strikeouts on him last year. So at the end of the day, like, wh- like wh- where to go from here? Um, yeah, re-sign Zach Wheeler. He's the best. He, he's in my opinion, completely underrated a top 10 pitcher in baseball when you really mm-hmm. break down the numbers and get down to figures. But he's 34 years old. Dave Dombrowski has a history of overspending on guys and kind of handicapping the team. And while, look, it's great that they want to – that they're saying screw it because at the end of the day, Philadelphia is a top 10 market in the world. They should be they should be, they should be able to spend the money, be in that third ring of the luxury tax and not have to worry about these things. Um, you still have to be a little bit cautious. Hey, what do you offer a Zach Wheeler at this point in it? In his career at 34, how long is he going to pitch? You can give him three years. You're going to what? You're going to give him what? 34 million dollars, 35. Might give him 40 million. Three years, 120. That's kind of where the market's been going for these older guys. Max Scherzer got two years at 42 apiece. Granted, with Steve Cohen, but where do you go from there? Where do you sign someone like Zach Wheeler? I don't think they necessarily need to go anything crazy in the field. No. Well, yes, it'd be great to get another outfielder. They're still relatively um conceit with Brandon Marsh, Castellanos, they can they can put Kyle Schrober out there. They wouldn't really do it. Um, that's the thing. I don't think they're go that's what they want to do is Christian Pop is also a, a very like suitable center fielder and he's a top I agree for time. So like and I think it's, it's simply because I personally don't think Johan Rojas is starting the year at the major league level. They no. want to develop his bat down at double A or triple A, wherever they want to put him. Although a picture came out from his Instagram this week. My boy is looking yoked. Johan Rojas has been putting in the work this winter in the gym. My boy is buff. He is jacked and I love it. By the way, really fast breaking news. uh, The Broncos will cut Russell Wilson in March. That's, That's a big move. Particularly when you traded, while well, I traded away Drew Locke and Noah Font for him, arguably one of the worst trades in sports history. I could find worse. 
I don't, I don't, one of. I don't need to look very far also to find it. Uh, remember, remember when the Mets traded away four draft picks for Darren Ruff? Not prospects for Darren Ruff. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a real legend, Darren Ruff. That was a fucking uh, head scratcher. No, but like, yeah, I I don't think Rojas is starting the year at, at the MLB level. Pache is a more than capable outfielder. While he doesn't have uh, a a ton of experience, he's only twenty. He's only twenty five and has only had a couple years of service time. Not even. Um, can still play center field He's if you need so him to. So good defensively, exactly. Which, which at the end of the day, in a lineup that that you can go top to bottom, and again, it's already at as good as you can get. When you have a top six that already includes Harper, Turner, and Castellanos, not even including in Real Muto, Schwarber, Schwarber. and the like, all of a sudden it's like okay, like like you, you can afford to run off at at some point. And playing Christian Pache at, at eight. Brandon Marsh had, had what a three forty five average that, by the end of May. Like this is a more than capable offense. They finished top ten in, in runs per game. They were one of the most efficient teams in baseball last year on the offensive end. It was the bullpen that killed them. Like they can very well they can very well fill this team out without having to touch anything in the field. I didn't think the bigger question actually is: Do you pitch? Like who's your fifth guy now? Uh, right now the rotation would line up. Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Ranger Suarez, Taiwan Walker, Christopher Sanchez. Why not re-sign Michael Lorenzen? Um, I think it's more a Lorenzen. I would love it. I love Michael Lorenzen. I thought he was very serviceable for what he was post-trade deadline. Um, I think he got a little run down simply because his first two starts in a Phillies uniform were a no-hitter and eight immaculate innings against the Miami Marlins. So it was more than what he was pitching at all with the Detroit Tigers. He was going, you know, six innings yeah. every outing. So he got a little run down and then never pitched in the postseason really, um, which was a head scratcher to me in and of itself. He wants to start. I don't know if they're waiting to see like what his market ends up being, because I think he fits in well here. Caleb Cotham was his pitching coach in Cincinnati when he was there. Um, he's got friends on the team, which I think is important mm-hmm. for him. And I think he fit in very well. I think it's just a matter of does he get a contract offer from a team that is willing to let him just be a starter and not kind of a, a starter plus and yeah. moving him in and out of the bullpen. I would love Michael Lorenzen back for sure. I think it's just a matter of what Michael Lorenzen wants. Um, That's true. Looking at the, the yeah, pitching cause... market, though, it's I mean, not it, that it, great it, right it, now. It, is, it isn't great, but also, like, even when you look at the top names there, um, you don't need to go crazy spending money hand over fist for a, for a number five pitcher. At the end of the day, you, you can be more than sufficient with. <coughs> Sorry, I'm getting over a cold. Um, you can easily get over the hill. Give give a pillow year to Frankie Montas. Didn't pitch all of last year. Has has had some success in Oakland when he went to the Yankees. Didn't do anything because again injury mired. You throw him on a cheap one year prove it deal. There's easily like room to build here. Justin Dunn is still a young talented pitcher at 28 years old. Um, I'll keep on going like down the line here. You can always you can always also go with some 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 reunions. Some reunions type players. Um, 
like you look at the top names, I wouldn't spend any money on a Martin, uh, not Perez Sandoretti, um, like a Marcus Stroman, where he's losing value at 33 years old and is starting to get and isn't getting any younger. You don't need like Sean Manaya, somebody else who's like middle middle age doesn't necessarily demand a huge deal. Um, you could very well go with a James Paxton, 36 years old, proven winner. Might might be a, a nice change of scenery at, out of Boston and, and New York. Uh, Frankie Montas, a, a name that I had mentioned. You could always bring back Vince Velasquez for $8 million on a one-year deal. Not the end of the world. But, like, again, just have somebody who's a little bit more established than Sanchez trying to lead the way. Or you could always say screw it and look more towards the um, the pool of and the farm and see, Hey, what's available there. Cause at the end of the day, they are going to put a lot of money towards a reliever. And there are a ton who are out there that, that, that can certainly boost the team. I don't think they think again, you don't need Josh Hader, no. but you also don't need Craig Kimbrell again. You don't Thank you God like, you can easily get by. I'm looking at, um, at... Oh, he did already. Yeah. Oh, yes. He signed a, a like, one, you don't need... one, and one with the Orioles. Yeah. Well, so like, you don't need guys, guys like that, but, Throwing names at, out there that I think fit really well. Actually, as I mentioned, Daniel Hudson, a name that, that kind of sticks out to me. Um, Lou Trevino, pitch to the Yankees, had a, a lot of success in Oakland. Someone who I, who I actually really really do like, but doesn't get get a lot of respect and a lot of appreciation. Um, guys who can make a big difference. I think, where was the name that, that I just saw? Uh, I missed it. Aaron Loop, thirty-six years old. You need a lefty to very well come out. We, come out we, we did. Hole. We did the Loop experiment. I, I don't need to see Aaron Loop in a Phillies uniform ever again. <laughs> Aaron Loop got way better when he left the Phillies. Let's yeah. just acknowledge that first. Um, but also, but but hey, like you know what? If they want to get crazy, go right ahead. But I don't think think they have to go with anything um, too too nuts in in order to fulfill what they actually need. Also, isn't I think Jordan Hicks is still available? If I'm not wrong, I think. Or he so. was. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'll find out. My my only big if, swing. If Jordan Hicks is available. Wise, you got a fireball thrower who has a quality arm. You might be able to work that. The the only big swing I would like for them to take pitching wise is if I I would much rather them trade for a reliever than sign one that's a free agent right now. Um, I believe Jordan Hicks did go. Uh, no, he is a free agent. But why burn the assets? Um, all right, yeah, great. Like, I like, view that's it the guy as... who I would sign. But why burn the assets to try and trade for a like? Who are we trading for? Hypothetically. Uh, great question. I mean, I don't have anybody in mind, but just from a standpoint of the past two years, not having a lockdown guy at the back of the bullpen. Ooh where last season Craig Kimbrell killed you in game four against the Diamondbacks. Uh, and then against the Astros, everything kind of just ran up dry in the World Series. The Phillies have not had a legitimate closer since Jonathan Papelbon, which is fucking insane. That was, only, that was over a decade ago. Um, I, I personally would love the Phillies. Like, if you're going to sign Jordan Hicks, the Phillies also need to go and re-sign Hector Neris. Yeah. To be like a, a one-two punch along with Jose Alvarado, along with Jeff Hoffman in the back of the bullpen there. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I need the Phillies to have somebody locked down in the back of the bullpen that we know night in, night out, six out of seven days, 
this guy's going to get a lockdown save for you and not be any issues to to close out a game. It's been so long since the Phillies have had that. The the other big swing pitching wise that I would totally be okay with them taking, full well knowing the package you're offering this team has to reflect that they know this guy is going to be a rental. You know he's going to be a rental because he's already publicly said he wants to go to free agency. The Phillies, if they want to really like take over the National League and like have a rotation that is comparable to uh, you know, what everybody thinks the Atlanta Braves have, I don't think they're that great rotation wise. If you want to have a rotation that's gonna rival what the Dodgers will have, what some of these big teams will have, the Phillies need to pick up the phone, give a nice little phone call to the Milwaukee Brewers, and see what it's going to take to get Corbin Burns. That's a again. I think that that's almost a, a rash decision. I feel like when you look at the the market, it's right, a it's a chips all in. Up. It's a moment where it's a moment where you know that this roster two years ago went to the World Series. Last year, you you fell short in the NLCS. You're looking to get over that hump. I think if you can lengthen your rotation from what it's been and not have to rely on Christopher Sanchez to be a fifth starter, not have to rely on Taiwan Walker to be a number four starter, even though you signed him to be that, make him your five. Ranger Suarez is now your number four. Aaron Nola is now your number three. Corbin Burns slides into your number two, and Zach Wheeler is obviously your number one. That's a pretty formidable rotation that going into a playoff series, if you can toss Wheeler, Burns, Nola at somebody, good luck. Yeah, look, I'm all for your top three guys for the playoffs, but I still think Taiwan Walker can get you there as your number three. I I, I don't think that that's really a, a, a issue. I'd rather keep the farm, keep it growing. And if you do trade for anybody, actually, this is really where I would go. D- disregard the, the starter market. Kendall Graveman out in Chicago is a rental, was already a target for trade at the deadline last year as a spendable asset that had team control, didn't get moved. I think Kendall Graveman could actually be a really solid piece that could actually do a lot for your team under the assumption that the Astros are are willing enough to get rid of him now that they, again, they got him last year as an asset from the White Sox. They no longer necessarily need him unless they plan to resign him long term. If they're uncompetitive by the by the break, or you might even swing something now, who knows? And the Astros are are, are still a very strong team, but they're a much older team than we've seen in the last five years. Bregman, Altuve, they're all up up into the mid thirties. The pitching staff is not nearly where it was all this time ago. Verlander's out for however long. Like he like he ain't coming back again soon. At the end of the day, I think that Kendall Graveman had a 3-1 ERA. Actually, he had a 2-4, particularly in Houston after the break. Could be a trade asset with, with, with I think, ARB3 or possibly a free agency on the rise. And, and you know what? He's 33. He's a veteran. He has experience. He can get you somewhere. I think that's a target that I would go after rather than, rather than, than, than trying to put all your chips in and go after Corbin Burns. At that point, you might as well sign Blake Snell. Why trade the farm when you can get someone who's arguably as good for just for a signing price? I personally think Corbin Burns is light years better than Blake Snell because Corbin Burns can go deeper into a game than Blake Snell. But can. Corbin Burns ha- has a higher whip ERA and is more volatile when you look at the actual 
metrics of the way he plays the game, he's far more apt. And I think his, his hard hit con, his hard hit rates are way higher than Snell's. When you when you look at two players like that, Corbin Burns will strike the world out. He will do what like Shane Bieber does. But Shane Bieber's problem is, has always been the ball's always in the strike zone and it's always hittable. It just happens to be that, that he's throwing it so fast, no one can hit it. But Blake Snell, control guy, finesse guy, can also pound you in hard. Out of, out of context, that sounds really gross. But <laughs> Blake Snell is a much more valuable asset, I think, in those road with a, with a lower hard hit count um, than a Corbin Burns is. And I can save my probably a top five prospect to get him. I also don't want to sign Gary Sanchez if I have to sign Blake Snell. <laughs> All right. Not for that. <laughs> I remember when you, my my Yankee fan friends were like, oh my god, Gary Sanchez, Gary Sanchez, the Kraken, second coming of God. And then when he uh, when he signed the Mets minor league camp, I was like, guys, it's happening. And like, <laughs> oh, these first four games, he had like three home runs. I go, holy shit, stop, this is gonna happen. Then I think he had like he had one hit, I think, as a Met on the big league club and like twelve at bats and they cut him. Crazy. Um, so Hopefully, free agency picks up a little bit after the holiday, and we'll have some more dominoes fall. Um, let's shift to let's shift to the ice, Steve, because both of our hockey teams are really, really good. Somehow, it's brought to you by our pals over at Kenwood Beer, the official beer partner of Underground Sports Philadelphia. It's a refreshing light beer, just four point one percent ABV, only hundred and twenty calories, only eight grams of carbs. Go to KenwoodBeer.com, see who's got it on tap in the Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Maryland, and New Jersey areas. Check out their storefront as well. they got these awesome pint glasses, amazing new apparel. Uh, and, of course, you can get it at your local liquor store in the aforementioned cities and areas. Must be 21 or older to do so. Steve loves a nice ice-cold Kenny. Uh, he's got one right there. Look at that. Boom. Crisp. Kenny boys. Kenny boys. Uh, must be 21 or older to do so. And, of course, please drink responsibly. Steve, how does it feel knowing that the Philadelphia Flyers are good and could be in the playoffs and we could have emotionally invested hockey this season for the first time since you've been part of our company? Well, so long as they don't have to play the Rangers, I think I'll be happy. Um, while, again, the Rangers are, are actually incredible, which is a, a shock to all of us. I, I, I had debates earlier in the year. I was like, I don't. I think we're like a fringe playoff team, and now, now, now I have friends uh, roasting me for for those comments. Now the Flyers, for the first time in I can't tell you how many years, probably at least a decade, uh, are finally giving some sort of hope to every fan in the Philadelphia area, and and the the Wells Fargo Center is no longer a one show pony stadium, or the Wings are pretty good too, but yeah, regardless, uh, amongst them uh, amongst the big four. But, like, really seeing a really good growth from this team. I mean, we, we already know what to, what to expect from a guy like Travis Konechny, who's been around forever. Um, puts up insane numbers. Sean Couturier, again, on a contract year, is proving his worth. They even they, – and, like, this is also a team who doesn't even necessarily have all of their top um, talent. They've had guys on long-term IR for the entirety of the year and haven't been able to, to, to sustain success for the first time ever. It's like Carter Hart has finally figured it out. Like something's finally going on in the goaltending realm for this team that now we're seeing Carter Hart be a possible like all-star goalie. 
And I, and honestly, I, like it, you've been waiting on it since like the days of like Chell eighteen when I used to, to to pick him up as like a twenty year old. Be like, yeah, when's he gonna break out? When's he gonna do this? We have um, two goalies with a two six two or below goals against average this year. <laughs> One of only five teams to have that. And again, Samuel Urson is as good as is as advertised. It's been so too. good, another terrific asset. The fact that you can throw these two guys out, and it's very much like what what the Rangers have with Igor Shosturkin and Jonathan Quick, two guys that every single time they hit the ice, you are convinced they have a chance to win the game. It's very hard in hockey, and I said, and it's the same thing like I mentioned earlier with Jake Elliott to have a safety net like that. There are, are the vast majority of teams in the NHL that that throw out one goalie, and the and the next man up is not nearly as close, and you see it on back-to-backs, on those off weeks where the defense needs to carry the load. The, the the Flyers don't necessarily have to do that. Like, for example, the Islanders are a team that constantly have to carry the weight on the defense. The Semyon Varlamov is not nearly the goalie that Ilya Sorokin is. You could put anything at, out in front of that guy, and he'll stop it. While I don't think Carter Hart is Ilya Sorokin, of course, they're still two B-plus goalies, mm-hmm. I, I think. And, and yes, like Samuel Orson isn't the name that you think of when when the Rangers took Jonathan Quick. I was like, all right, he's the old washed-up guy who might have a resurging year. That's totally great. Or like look at Boston, right? Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman. Unknown name in Allmark, had a breakout year. Swayman came from Maine, has a good junior career, is like 25, 26 years old, and is producing, and they're, they're a good tandem. You go to Colorado, they had Darcy Kemper and uh, and Lucy Yorgiev. Like another like really solid pairing. This is a team where you can throw out two B plus goalies, let, let, let the defense flow, keep the upper half momentum, and constantly get shots on net. They're one of the top ten teams in hockey in shots on goal and conversion in deep, which is a huge metric that that, that, that they've been trying to work on forever. And it's about it's honestly about about damn time. Um, Travis Sandheim's been great. Kanetti's been awesome. Uh, Joel Farabee is doing something that he hasn't done in a long time. Uh, which is which is have it have over twenty points in the first by Christmas by Christmas time, so big deal coming out of here. Plus, also they have young talent that's producing well. Owen Tippett, Cam Atkinson from Columbus is playing really well. So a lot of good things to like from. Don't uh, forget my boy Bobby Brink, one of the best names in sports. It's a good name, honestly. Although it's I'm such a, a good hockey name. I personally l- love Cam York largely because I'm a Notre Dame fan, but um, no, like a really talented roster up and down. A lot of veterans to to go around, a lot of experience, but also a lot of youth that can really um, exuberate this team into, honestly, what's already, I, I think they're on the precipice of the playoffs, if not already there. Um, we, up until the Islanders won right before the break, we were in second place in the Metropolitan Division, right behind your New York Rangers. <laughs> we're one point back of the Islanders. Right and now. in the East, they are one, two, three, four, five. They're sixth in the East, so... I believe tied tied for fifth or sorry, tied for fourth actually with Toronto and Florida. Um, will will they make the ground over time to get up and over them? I think Toronto and the Panthers both have games in hand on the Flyers. Um, Florida Florida doesn't. The Maple Leafs do. Um, the unfortunate reality with Philadelphia, which is going to be something that we're going to keep keep an eye on up through April is they're playing a lot more games earlier in the year. So a lot of teams, the Rangers being one of them, the Rangers have 47 points. They're currently number two, tied for number two 
in the President's Cup race, they have four games in hand on every other team in the league. So, like, those are those things are going to start to really play a factor here. The, uh, the Flyers are playing more games in the early part of the year than, than the latter half of the year. The NHL, the NHL really fucked up, up the schedule in this year. So, um, with that said, the Flyers are going to have to put on some sustained pressure early on in the second half because they're not going to have as many games to make up space um, if they do wind up falling lower than sixth. So, something to keep out for. Yeah, I mean, the Flyers have 12 guys with double-digit points so far already. I can't even remember the last time that happened for a Flyers team at this point in the season. This is the first time since 2007 that they have had a better goal differential going into Christmas time, well, the, the new year. And, I, and I, I know, I know, on this show we love talking differentials. Oh yes, we do. We so. we are the originators of making score and point differential and run differential a thing because literally we started that train like two or three years ago as a bit. And now every big media publication is always talking about score differential. You're welcome, America. You're welcome. Yeah. Now, hey, a, a, a plus nine scoring differential, really strong. They've been, and you know, doing else too. The Flyers' success has, has come more than not on the road. They're what's the number here? I just, just lost it. They're ten four and three on the road. They're almost at. at, at they're basically at an even five hundred at, at home. If you can go into away barns, particularly in the Eastern Conference, you can go to a Manhattan, a UBS. You can go to Toronto, go to the go to TD, and steal even a point. It's a huge metric for your team 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 to get ahead on, and I think it's a huge factor when you kind of dig into the weeds, um, particularly in like the overtime loss department, where like you have guys like the Islanders who have the nine OT losses. That those nine points go so far, and they win games one nothing, or, or they lose. Two to one and no take. That's just their bread and butter, and they've been a top five playoff team every single year. So you want to like you want to talk about teams that 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 thrive off the idea of OTLs. The Flyers should easily be able to embrace that, and if they can carry a full sixty, be tied in those games, and either get the points or or script out with one, they'll be a easy playoff team. And I think that they, they may actually shock some folks come first round. I mean. It sucks that they didn't end up winning the game, but the game right before the break on Friday, the 22nd, they were down 5-1 on the road to the Red Wings, fought all the way back, forced overtime, and forced a shootout. That Lost 7-6. That was an unreal game. But I can't even remember a Flyers team that had that kind of resiliency and that kind of just like, hey, we might be down, but we're not out type of mentality. And it all yeah. starts from upstairs. The the changing of the guard with Keith Jones and Danny Briere now running the team as president of hockey operations and as your GM, going and getting a team that, like constructing a team that simply has zero pressure on it because this year was supposed to be quote unquote year one of the rebuild, and they're they're a forty point hockey team at the Christmas break. This team heard all the noise knows that people say, hey, they're not supposed to be winning, and they're just playing with a chip on their shoulder that also comes with zero pressure whatsoever. And that's why you're seeing this team play so relaxed. It's the fastest moving on the ice Flyers team that I can remember since probably the Stanley Cup team in 2010. Like, they move so fast, and it's finally because they're involving – the young guys that are in this organization as the focal points of just puck moving rather than, 
you know, and I love Claude Drew, but rather than having Claude Drew and and uh, Jake Voracek be your one-two punch, this team doesn't have a one-two punch. They move the puck around. Everybody's contributing, as you heard when we said, 12 guys with double-digit points already. They're sharing the puck, and that's a winning formula if you're converting like at a clip that the Flyers are. And you know what? I think there's also one other big thing that uh, that talks to how good this team is. And it took a little bit of trying in year one, but in year two, came back stronger. And it always happens like clockwork. It comes down to the real Italian in Philadelphia, the real Italian stallion, John Tortorella. Like the guy produces. Did you see his quote I, a couple like, weeks ago? I can only imagine what this man said. Uh, they asked him something about the team. He said, we've got balls. Imagine a time as a New York sports fan when I was seven years old that I got to go and watch interviews on TV late at night and it would be Mike D'Antoni followed by John Tortorella. Who Those both, two oddly enough, a, ended up in Philadelphia. <laughs> oh my God, lit a room up, both of them. Like that, like, but again, John Tortorella really is the, the catalyst behind all this. He wanted to introduce all of this in year one, didn't get the opportunity to because of ownership and because of the of, of those in the front office. Now is given the opportunity to spread his wings. And you know what? Good riddance, Claude Giroux. He's playing fine in Ottawa, but what good has he been? While, yeah, you know what? He's your go-to guy and he scores. He is not a top 10 center in the league at, to a point where you can rely on him week in and week out. He's kind of just been like, at best, a third-line center for for any other team. I think he's currently the – might be the two-wing, two might be, on Ottawa. And the only reason why he's there is because they got rid of Alex Dabrinkit. Like, they have there. a very – what? And he's from Ottawa. That's why he's signed he, there. Well, yes. What I'm saying is, is, like, why rely on someone like Claude Giroux when you could have easily closed the door on that, picked up guys like Cam Atkinson, and let the team focus around Konechny, Couturier – Atkinson and the like, and now we're seeing produce producing results. And while yes, of course, Tortorella is a huge piece of this. I still do think that the uh, the goalie the goalie tandem is the most important part of hockey. This has been a huge revelation uh, for this team because they've been waiting for years for Carter Hart to break out. And you got Owen Tippett for Claude Giroux when you traded him to Florida when you finally decided Nasty. to pull that trigger. He's so nasty. I love Owen Tippett. He and another great hockey name. Almost as good as Adam Shank in the golf world. Yes. 100%. Adam Shank and Owen Tippett. The best. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's fun to have like fun hockey to tune into every single night. It has not been that way for a long, long time, excluding when the Flyers somehow uh, manipulated the system and, and won the little round-robin tournament in the bubble and ended up as the one seed. Uh, but other than that, there's been zero to look forward to with this team. Uh, you know, every year we have Matt's brother on who is diehard Flyers fan. And, you know, a couple of years ago he had Flyers plushies, which one of them is up on the wall of fame behind Matt over here of Shane Goss's bear uh, that it was the council of complacency we were talking about with the Philadelphia Flyers, you know, and now we're enjoying a, a youth movement that is playing well and there's still more youth on the way, uh, you know, along with, guys like all-time name and i can't wait to get his jersey and i hope he wears number 69 when he plays for the flyers uh mr bonk himself oliver bonk greatest name ever um 
And then obviously you have Matvey Michkov, who's playing in the KHL and absolutely bodying 30-plus-year-old Russian dudes in the second-best hockey league on, the, on planet Earth. Yeah, like, um, I, and it, it's trying to uh, trying to focus up here. Like, with the exception of, again, the, the bubble year, um, which was the last time they had made the playoffs. Like they, like they've, they, they've been able to have sustained, sustained success, but that was also back when Dave, what Dave Hackstall was actually a, uh, was able to, to control what happened. Elaine Vigneault was an absolute dog, dog mess of a hire. Um, but now they have everything kind of sorted out. They have the youth. It's a very different flyers team from when they had Hackstall when they used to have Barube and now current Ranger, Peter, Peter Laviolette. Like those are the teams to get back to, but fill it with more youth. And the and the Flyers have been notorious for being the old dog on the block, mm-hmm. but also the grittiest one on the block, which is kind of which. Sorry, I just made a really bad faux pas thing. Saying <laughs> grittiest, yikes! But like, that's the thing, though. Like they've always been the old dog on the block, the junkyard dog who was, who was meant to bite you, eat you, and spit you out. Old dogs are not very scary. Like. Uh, I'm sorry. That's just just how it's been. The young dogs are scary. Owen Tippett's scary. He's a good player. I I can, I I always judge teams early on in the year when you can see them get drafted in fantasy hockey and be like, hey, like, like where are these, like where are they going? And when you see guys fall off the board mid rounds, and you're like, who's that guy? And like they're making the news, and and like people know who they are. Haven't seen that with a lot of Flyers guys in a long time. Mm-hmm. This is a very strong team. And again, could probably shock a couple teams uh, early first round next year, depending on who it is. It's not the Rangers. I hope April we are are locked and loaded, and we can have like full on like hockey stream where we have the three fandoms that work for this company in the NHL playoffs with the Rangers, the Bruins, and the Flyers. If only we can have Harry Higgs too. We can uh, stop it and give commentary. It's going to be so fun. It's electric. And then the other team in the Wells Fargo Center, that's lighting it up right now, the Philadelphia 76ers. They're hooping right now uh, down in Orlando. We'll try to keep tabs on uh, the overall score of that. But, I mean, they lose on Christmas. No Joel Embiid. No Jimmy Butler. Who's to say that game even really happened? I don't know if it did. Um, They are currently up 52-46 at halftime over a – surprisingly enough, very good Orlando Magic team who are 18 and 11 this year. Um, Don't get it twisted. 98% of that is Paolo Banquero. Oh, 100%. Don't get it twisted. But if you would have told anybody at the beginning of the year that the Orlando Magic at Christmas would be the four seed in the East, I think a lot of people would have given you a lot of funny looks. Um, They've been a a total surprise and good for them. It's it's finally about time that that youth movement kind of takes off in Orlando. Um, but it is very funny that we've talked about this a bunch recently too, that Joel Embiid is playing better basketball than he did all of last season and probably won't win the MVP because that's just how life works. Um, but right now he is the the favorite to win the MVP with how he's been playing, obviously missed uh Christmas day and he's missing this game against the Orlando magic, but he has been like video game levels the the past two and a half weeks or so. Fourteen straight games of thirty plus points. Thirteen straight of thirty plus and ten plus rebounds. 
He's got Tyrese Maxey playing at an all-star starter level. And I've talked about this a ton since the James Harden trade. The Sixers finally have a team that is flooded with depth that they haven't had over the past couple of years. It's normally been a one-two punch of superstars and a very thin bench. Now you have a one-two punch of two homegrown superstars and you have the bench depth surrounding them and you can run multiple lineups. You have the gritty, grizzled veterans like Patrick Beverly, like Marcus Morris Sr., who are going to you know get those tough rebounds that are going to be the tough guys in practice on some of these younger guys. Robert Covington is back, which I absolutely love. Shout out to the process. Um, you know, this team has guys that this is how you win in the playoffs too, is having rosters like this where they're interchangeable down the stretch and then you find your rotation for the postseason. It, it really does feel like a much more fun year, and it all starts with Nick Nurse, too, being a competent head coach. I said it on the last episode. Mm-hmm. Doc Rivers wasted three years of our basketball fandom by being the head coach of this team. Having a competent basketball coach for your your favorite NBA team it makes such a difference. Oh, yeah. No, I think the, the important thing to take away with, with the Sixers so far in the year, and you're alluding to it exactly right, I, I I told this to uh, to a friend of ours, Morgan Tensive. This was uh, junior year of college when they had, I think it was junior year. They had they had just acquired Jimmy Butler, and I had said like this team can never go anywhere because they have five elite starters that up and down the board they can play, and their sixth man is Robert Covington. And then after that, it's it's like a creative player in two K. Like you have nothing else to prove outside of a six man rotation. That's going to actually get you anywhere. What, TJ McConnell was going to get you there? Finally. And and also, it's it's the revelation of Tobias Harris that I think is like, it's the gift that always gives. The third star. And, <laughs> and you can give him all the hate in the world. I have defended this man tooth and nail forever. He's worth every fucking cent. Tobias Harris is the cornerstone of this team because he helps solidify and bridge the top-tier player from Joel Embiid to the mid-tier, to the bottom tier. He's the bottom feeder of the roster who, who, can, who can solidify everything around you when you have Maxi bringing the ball up. Ubre, who's a really good spot-up shooter for every spot on the court. And B, like we had said, I think he's averaging 40 points in December. It hasn't happened since, like, Wilt. It's crazy. Like, guys, guys don't do that. I don't think Jokic ever did that in his MVP seasons. Like, we're, we're looking at a year that... And where where in years past, I would easily make the argument that that, that, that Jokic is your MVP. But now, like the, the the Sixers need Embiid more than the, the than the Nuggets need Jokic. But even then, though, they're still a fun basketball team to watch, even without Joel Embiid on the roster, because there are guys who can play and, and can hoop and can actually bring on some sort of like interest that isn't just constantly feed and feed and feed down low and try and fight out tight games. They're a top 15, they're a top half team in three-point percentage. They're a top half team in efficiency. The defense is really strong between Reed, Ubre, Maxi, Harris. The defensive metrics have been so so sky high through the roof. You can even remove Joel Embiid, and they're still a top half team. Like that, that's how good the Sixers can actually be. And there's a reason why they're 20 and 9. And look, don't get it twisted. This game currently tonight against Orlando is a tight six-point game. The only reason why is because Bancaro is, is balling. And they don't have Embiid to to defend them down low. That's all it is. 
Yeah. So I mean... like, l- like listen to whatever you want and listen to all the media, media haters. We're going to tell you the Sixers aren't, aren't legit there. This is the, this is the first year in four years that I can very confidently say that not only a playoff uh, berth is imminent, but a deep run deeper than you've ever seen in the last 10 years. Which Likely. I mean, getting out of the goddamn second round, finally. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, you have Paul Reed playing behind Joel Embiid as your backup center, who is so fun. B-Ball Paul. I mean, to have a guy whose nickname is literally B-Ball, and he went to DePaul, uh, is amazing. Uh, B-Ball Paul. Mo Bamba's on this team. Like, the fact that when he's coming in for garbage time, and the Wells Fargo Center has Mo Bamba by Sheck West playing is ridiculous. Um, I mean, DeAnthony Melton has been a rock star since he got here as kind of your your contributing fifth member of the the starting lineup as your shooting guard. Yeah. Uh, I love Kelly Oubre. I want the Sixers to sign him to just whatever contract he wants. He is he is like the type of player that Robert Covington was to the process Sixers. Yeah. where he compliments every single player on the floor. He can shoot, and my God, is he one of the most attractive motherfuckers in the NBA and probably all of sports. I get lost in Kelly Oubre's eyes every single game, and the Sixers social team knows exactly what they're doing posting those little one-minute clips of him licking his lips Bro, every night. E- even post-hit-and-run, the, the guy's gorgeous. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen the video from a couple years ago? It always gets mashed up with like his Phoenix Suns highlights, but I found mm-hmm. the full video finally of him on Instagram Live doing karaoke to "I Write Sins, Not Tragedies" by Pan. No, I've never Disco. I will send it to you. It Please is don't. one of the best videos ever. Um, and I mean, when you have Patrick Beverly on this team, you want to talk about a guy who was born to play in Philadelphia and should have played in Philadelphia his entire career. It's Pat Bev. Anytime the Sixers whoop on a team he's tweeting belt to ass and it's the belt to ass tour is what they're what he calls it on his podcast with roan i love it belt to ass i mean this team is is loaded i mean top to bottom too when you're going out and you're signing a fun player like kenneth lofton jr this week to a two-way contract who i saw so many hilarious tweets because kenneth lofton jr he's a big boy at one point weighed 300 pounds I saw somebody say it looked like he uh, he ate Justin Fields uh, because he and Justin Fields have a very similar face. And then I also saw one where it says, uh, oh, they signed uh, the basketball version and a much larger version of Kylian Mbappe. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, That's great. But this team is fun. Yeah, no, they're, re- they're really hoops. odd how, how three, three big-time athletes can all – very odd how three big time athletes can all share the same uh, kind of face. No, but like Kelly Oubre is the perfect compliment. You wonder why when, when what's his name, uh, when Quinn Cook departed from Golden State, the first person Steph Steph Curry said get said get on the phone was Kelly Oubre. Like he needed a glue guy to help solidify the as a six man or even second unit. And that was when he when when he was young and developing in 2020. Now three years later, can work in every facet can help bring the ball out, can play your two, play your three, be your six man. He's so versatile. I love Kelly Oubre. I agree. Blank check that guy. I want the Knicks to get him, but unfortunately, uh, Emmanuel quickly is will be here forever. But Kelly Oubre is only 28 years old, too, which is crazy <laughs> to think about. Yeah, it's nuts. It, um, all right. So, really, better eyes, Kelly Oubre or, hear me out, Michael Beasley. Michael Beasley actually, like, 
What look at Michael but Michael Beasley when he was young, like younger, early career. He had those, those those like glowy eyes. Yeah, and oddly enough, when he was—I don't know if this is a current picture of him—he and Kelly Oubre have like the same haircut almost, with the long like they do, yeah, curls. Yeah, he's—he's he's got like uh, Michael Beasley walked so Kelly Oubre could run. Have you ever seen the uh, the Dan Levitard rants when the uh, when the Heat used to win the? Uh, Used to win the conference finals against against Indiana. He and and he, and he would it basically just be a giant roast of the uh, of the Pacers. That's hilarious. The, 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 there's one part of the bed. He goes, uh, "Indiana's home to over 100 feet, 100 uh, unique specimen of trees." And Michael Beasley finna smoke them all. He, he goes, "You you have cities named French Lick and South Bend." We have strip clubs that offer the French Lick and the South Bend. <laughs> like, uh, Paul George's house was burglarized. Items missing. A flex watch, a pair of Jordan 4 Toros, and Roy Hibbert. Those rants <laughs> are what makes Dan Levitard so funny until everyone found out that he wasn't actually his father. And it wasn't actually Poppy. It wasn't actually his dad. See? Oh no. Oh man, those were great rants. That oh, that's man. that's what made ESPN. What well, what else did did he have back in the day? He used to have uh, uh there was one really good one. Um mm. Oh, they were like uh Oh. I forget. It was a joke about Jim Ursay getting pulled over with like, with like, like a kilo of coke and like a like a hooker in, in the backseat of the car, and then they're like, "You call that a scandal? We call that a Monday." <laughs> there's some really fun. There's some really messed up ones in the archives. There, that's so funny. Um, that's all we got for you guys on this episode, Steve. Your your first main pod in the books. Yeah, it was good. Uh, didn't have a, didn't have as many. Uh, off tangent, off kilter moments that that, that I would have hoped for. I mean, you and I are notorious for going off on on Uber tangents, but then again, I have to get to bed early for work, so I guess the uh, ne- next time I, next time I get on the beer will flow and we'll uh, we'll get a little crazier. I I can promise you that much. But for for a debut, uh, news infested and a lot of sick Steve chatter. So thank you for for uh, for dealing with me. Make sure you guys are following us on the socials at Underground PHI on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Facebook.com slash Underground Sports PHI. Follow Steve on Twitter at Real Steve McAvoy. Blow his followers up. He needs to get them back up from Please his old account being pillaged and stolen by the the intruders of uh, Elon Musk's Twitter. Twitter, now called X. Your support team sucks. Yeah, it stinks. Figure it out. Nice. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. Subscribe to the podcast feed on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts in audio form. Leave a five star review. Go.
goes a long way for helping us hit new milestones, lets us do more dope stuff for and with you guys. So keep subscribing wherever you get your podcasts in audio form and subscribe to the Underground Sports Philadelphia YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Underground Sports Philadelphia. That's where you get full video episodes of this show twice a week, full video episodes of every show on our network, including Again, the whole podcast hosted by Stephen McAvoy and Ben Pirro. Uh, Steve, you guys got a fun interview coming out uh, pretty soon, too. We do, yeah. We have uh, Raymond Williams, Golf Projects on Instagram, really big name. Ton of followers, been been focusing in on the, the fun side of golf, the style, the street culture, the limited time drops that have been funneling in since, uh, post, since the post-COVID world. He's worked at Nike, used to work at Shop Doctor, a bunch of other – uh, big time football companies, uh, but has also gotten really into golf uh, out in Oregon. So a lot of really cool experience. We chat. Oh God, we talked. We talked Tiger Woods leaving Nike. We talked about uh, the new Costco irons and eventually new driver. Now that actually just came out. The reviews are in on these. Apparently they are legit. Uh, I also r- ran a whole thread on finding out who produces them and like some of their like club manufacturers and like people who like do their stuff like made Callaway and Ping. So like pretty big deal. Um, so Costco's legit. Don't do not sleep on Kirkland, the number the number one CPG brand in the world. That'll that interview will come out soon. Golf Project, Raymond Williams, great guy, awesome time. Hope we can hope we can connect with him uh, as well in the future too. He's been uh, all over the the space. Hundred percent. So go subscribe to the Get in the Hole podcast as well, and uh, get your merch. Phiapparel.co code underground for ten percent off your merch orders. And as always, this show is presented by the City of Vineland, and whether you're a company looking to expand, relocate, or you're a new business startup, selecting the right location is critical to your success. Vineland, New Jersey offers both an affordable business location and an excellent quality of life. The City's Economic Development Department is a one-stop source for moving your project through the development and approval process, and their goal is to make this process as smooth as possible and to provide the fastest turnaround times in the region. If you're considering potential locations for your operation, contact the Vineland Economic Development Team at 856-794-4100. That's 856-794-4100. Finally, New Jersey, where it's always growing season. And big thank you to Security 21 Security Systems and Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated for their continued support of this podcast. It's been episode number 598 of Underground Sports Philadelphia. We will be back probably before the Eagles-Cardinals game uh, comes to a close on New Year's Eve. So we'll have 599 there. And then next Wednesday, big episode 600 uh, so tune in for that one live on the Twitch machine. Uh, but for Stevie Mac, I'm KB. Until then, we're getting the heck up out of here, and we are signing off. Peace. Cheers. Cheers.